Hey, I'm Mary Ellen Dance, licensed mental health counselor and owner of Pittsburgh Therapy. I'm on a mission to strip away the stigmas surrounding therapy and mental health and talk about how we can use the culture of self-improvement for our benefit rather than our demise. I used to think I was doing life all wrong, from getting fired from a dream job to advising clients on relationships while I myself was trying to sort through that dumpster fire. But then I realized my imperfections are what made me a good therapist. So join me on a journey not to be perfect, but to be, well, okay-ish. Welcome. Your session has now started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I am going to actually just jump right into our topic because I have a lot to say about it. And this is a topic that I've talked about before, but it's come up a lot. I've had a lot of questions about it. So I am going to talk about it again. And that topic, my friends, is trauma. So before I go on, before I talk about anything, if at any point while I'm talking about trauma, you feel triggered or anything like that, please turn this off. I mean, you know, subscribe and listen to future episodes, but I don't want you to feel triggered. So don't listen to it if it's triggering you, if you're noticing that you're getting anxious or anything like that. But trauma is being talked about all the time. Absolutely all the time. And so the reason it's being talked about all the time, well, there's... Okay. There's like a few reasons it's being talked about all the time. One of the reasons is a few years ago, and by a few years ago, I mean probably within the past 20, 30 years, I don't know exactly. We have realized that people are experiencing more trauma than we ever thought. That a lot of mental health disorders are actually stemming from trauma. They're stemming from different trauma. And so that led to kind of like a movement in the mental health industry of trauma-informed care. So I remember in like my first job, we would have trainings that were trauma-informed care trainings and how can you treat people and support people and provide good therapy to people while always having trauma in the back of your mind, always having an underlying understanding of trauma and what trauma-informed care is, and how trauma might be affecting this person. Like, how can you always do that? But here's the thing about trauma that's really tricky. We do not have a universal definition for it. We don't. There's a disorder called post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, that is in the DSM. We have criteria for that disorder. There's more of a universal definition for that disorder. But trauma we don't really have a universal definition for. No psychologists totally agree on the definition. And the reason why is because it affects us all differently. The reason why is because one thing can be traumatic to me when it, it happened to another person, but it's not traumatic to them. I'll get more into that later as to why that happens. But it's hard to define. People used to think that trauma was a life-threatening event. And life-threatening events can be very traumatic, but that's not just what it is at all. So more and more recently, the general public is talking about trauma. So 
We've been doing trauma-informed care in mental health settings, but more and more recently, people are talking about trauma, which I think is fantastic. We need to talk about it. We want people to understand that someone can have trauma even if they haven't been to war, even if they you know, have not witnessed a tragedy. That doesn't mean that that person doesn't have trauma. It's important to understand that, and I'm really glad that people are talking about it. Part of the issues of people talking about it is we still don't understand it. So if you're on TikTok or on Instagram and someone's giving you a definition of trauma, know that that's still kind of up for debate. It is still kind of up for debate. A lot of the time, trauma comes with something called dissociation. And there's also no universal definition for dissociation. (laughs) So look, you're listening to this podcast and being like, okay, she's not giving me any answers because there's just no definitions. But all of what I'm saying today, all of what I've said and what I'm about to say is literally in my own words, Someone could explain the same thing in a totally different way. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong and they're right or vice versa. It just means these are the words I've chosen to use to kind of explain it. But dissociation basically means when we're experiencing trauma, when we're experiencing an event that we emotionally cannot handle, we kind of dissociate, which means we separate ourselves from the events. And guess what? We all dissociate as human beings. We all dissociate, all of us. Have you ever been driving somewhere and you get to your destination and you're like, how the hell did I get here? That's a form of dissociation. No, that does not mean we have dissociative identity disorders. No, that does not necessarily even mean we have trauma. It means that this is something that we all do. Now, obviously, this becomes an issue if we're doing it often. If we're using it as a coping skill, oftentimes people who have trauma dissociate because we cannot handle the magnitude of the feelings around the trauma. We cannot handle the trauma, so we dissociate as a form of protection. So the reason I'm throwing all these words at you and you're probably like, what are you talking about is I'm going to continue to use the words trauma and dissociation, and I want us to understand what they mean, but... The problem is we don't totally know what they mean because there's no universal definition. So recognizing that these things are up for debate and people are talking about it more and more. So when people talk about it so that we all who are listening to this kind of start to understand what people mean or what people are trying to say. There's another form of dissociation called non-realization that I just saw like a YouTube video popped up talking about non-realization. Non-realization is kind of like denial. It's kind of like, oh yeah, that happened to me, but it doesn't affect me. It's more of like an extreme form of denial for lack of a better term. So what happens is we experience trauma and then often as coping skills, we dissociate or we have non-realization to protect ourselves. It protects us from re-experiencing the trauma, from living in that trauma world. So again, I'm sorry I don't have you know real definitions, but that's more the psychology community and not me. But hopefully we start to understand kind of what these words mean, because I'm going to talk about a specific trauma treatment that's being talked about a lot. And that trauma treatment is called EMDR. I've been hearing, like I said, I just saw a YouTube video where someone was talking about EMDR. There's a 
celebrities who have talked about how they've been in EMDR therapy, which is great. I love it when celebrities, you know, promote therapy. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy. It's kind of a mouthful. I am trained in EMDR. So I went to undergrad, went to grad school, got my license, all of that. And then in addition, I had a separate training for EMDR. So not every therapist can do EMDR. It's like an additional separate kind of like certification. I have been trained in EMDR and I still have thousands and thousands of questions about it. (laughs) I read about it all the time. It's so, so fascinating. But I want to tell you about EMDR's view of trauma and what it is. So EMDR is based on something called structural dissociation theory. Do you guys feel so smart listening to this? I feel like I sound smart. I'm throwing out all these fancy words. So structural dissociation theory, and again, I'm using very layman's terms. Someone else could describe this in a different way. It doesn't mean they're wrong and I'm right or vice versa. It just means we might be using different terms to describe it. And this is a very, very nuanced, confusing thing that I'm giving kind of a brief overview of. Okay, so structural dissociation theories, you know, view of trauma is that basically we have two parts of our brain. We have kind of like a, for lack of a better term, like a regular part of our brain that, you know, does our daily life that I just went to Starbucks. That's my regular daily part of my brain. And then we have this emotional part of our brain. And in this emotional part of our brain, trauma sometimes gets stuck. It gets stuck. And then when trauma gets stuck, the daily part of our brains and the emotional parts of our brains don't work together. And then we dissociate and then we feel like crap. And, you know, it just causes all these terrible things. So the woman who developed EMDR therapy, structural dissociation theory, and basically came up with the idea that when something bad happens to us, when anything happens to us, not something bad, when anything at all happens to us, it enters our brains, right? Like I said, I just went to Starbucks. That that entered my brain. And our brain is always working, adapting the information that happens to us. This happened to me. My brain is moving that information over. So things happen to me that enters one part of my brain. And that part of my brain where things enter, I like to think of it like a hoarder's house, right? like a hoarder's house. So the, this enters this part of the brain. It's like a hoarder's house. Everything's m- messy and dusty and not organized. And our brain is always working to move things to the other side of our brain where things are organized in like nice filing systems. So events happen to us. It goes into this messy hoarder's house and our brain naturally, it's just what our brain naturally does, Our brain naturally is just working on moving things over to the nice organized filing system. Our brain naturally does that. So what EMDR says, uh, what structural dissociation theory says, is certain events get stuck in that hoarder's house. And those events are considered trauma because they are stuck and they are not moving over and getting organized in the filing cabinet part of our brain. So Francine Shapiro, the woman who who invented or who 
developed EMDR. So she she had a theory, which I think is like the coolest thing ever. This is like my favorite thing. So she would talk about and teach about how our brains are naturally doing this. Our, our brains want everything in neat filing systems. Our brains want that. So they naturally do that. And so she realized that our brains are kind of always doing this in the background, but they do it a lot when we're in REM sleep. So her explanation is, have you ever had a recurring dream? I know I have. Francine Shapiro, who developed EMDR, would say that, hey, recurring dreams are because your brain's trying to move that into the filing cabinet and it can't. And so it keeps trying and it keeps trying because our brains want everything to be stored nicely. So it keeps trying. Have you ever noticed this happens to me all the time when I'm stressed or when I've got something going on, I'll have more dreams and it almost like makes me happy. It's like my brain's trying to work through something. My brain is trying to like file stuff away that I can't file. I think it's just like the coolest thing ever. It's also the reason why the phrase time heals all wounds is like sort of correct. Now, time doesn't heal trauma because trauma gets stuck in, in that hoarder's house place in our brains. So time doesn't heal trauma. But like my first boyfriend, the day I broke up with my first boyfriend, I couldn't talk about it without crying. Now, it's been a really long time. I can talk about it very easily, right? Like, it doesn't affect me at all. That's because over time, our brains naturally move that information into the filing system. And so this is one of the reasons that we have trouble defining trauma, is because we don't necessarily know what's going to get stuck in that hoarder's house part of our brain and what's not. So I mentioned earlier that, you know, you and I could experience the same event and one of us end up with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, and the other one of us not. Why does that happen? We don't totally know. We don't totally know. Because sometimes trauma just gets stuck in our brain. Sometimes it has to do with whether or not we talked about it immediately. If there is like a tragic event that happens in like a school or a hospital or a workplace, often they'll bring in like emergency counselors. That helps. That helps. That's been proven to help trauma to not get stuck in the brain. If we're processing things immediately, if something bad happens to us and we're immediately talking about it and getting support, we know for sure that that helps that, helps that information to not get stuck in the hoarder's house. It helps us to file away that information all nicely and neatly. But other than knowing that, we don't necessarily know. So like a breakup might be stuck in that hoarder's house part of your brain. It could be anything. It really, really could be anything. In the EMDR world, sometimes we call them big T's and little T's. So big traumas and little traumas, right? So a big trauma might be, you know, a death, an assault, like things like that. And a little T might be something like a breakup or whatever it may be. So the idea is, and the whole point that I'm trying to get across, is that our brains naturally do this. Our brains do not want to be stuck in trauma. We just, we don't. Who, what brain would want that? Our brains are like on our side, right? But sometimes our brains get stuck in trauma. Stuff gets stuck in that hoarder's house. So basically what EMDR is, is it's trying to move that information from the maladaptively stored place of the hoarder's house 
to the adaptively stored nice little filing cabinet. That's all it is. That's really, really all it is. It's trying to kind of man make this natural process that's happening. And it uses like a lot of wild things to do this. And I could use more and more big terms like, you know, the bilateral stimulation of moving your eyes or da da da. But I've used enough like fancy terms today. I'm kind of, I don't think I can use any more. <laughs> but I want us to understand that that is very simplified, but the crux of EMDR. Now, EMDR does involve often a therapist that's trained in EMDR moving their fingers back and forth and the client like moving their eyes with the therapist's fingers. This is not hypnosis. It is not hypnosis at all. And a lot of people think that. And so that's why, you know, I wanted to mention that because it's confusing. And if we don't know anything about it and we hear, oh, a therapist is moving their hand back and forth, we might be like, what the heck is going on? Right. But it's not that. The patient doing EMDR is literally just talking. They're just talking and they're thinking. I say all the time when I'm doing EMDR, I say, and I got this from the woman who taught me about EMDR, so I didn't coin this, but I say, let your brain do what it naturally does. Let your brain go where it's going to go. You know, it's kind of like, I like to equate EMDR with, do you ever lay in bed and you can't fall asleep? And so you're laying and you're thinking and you, you, you get to a topic in your brain and you're like, wait, how did I get here? And you kind of like connect and make the chain like that. How you got there. That's kind of like EMDR. When we're doing, it's actually, EMDR is actually eight phases and the movement of the hands and eyes is actually phase four. So when we're in phase four of that and doing that, that's kind of what we're doing. You know, I tell clients to kind of let their brain wander because the idea is we just want to create a space to let the brain do what it's naturally doing. Now, one thing I've seen about EMDR that I want to mention, well, actually two things. One thing I've seen a lot is that EMDR can uncover repressed memories. It's a complicated answer. The answer is yes, maybe. Yes-ish. I've seen it happen, but it doesn't mean that it will always happen. There's a lot more, you know, involved in that that I honestly cannot speak to as well because I am not the expert in any of this, but there's a lot more involved in it. And so I see a lot of people saying, oh, I have repressed memories. I want to go and get EMDR so I can uncover those memories. That's not quite how it works. Like, does that sometimes happen? Yes, but that doesn't mean that will always happen or that's quite how it works. The purpose of EMDR is not to necessarily recover repressed memories. That's not like the goal, right? The goal is to move that information over to the appropriate adaptive filing cabinet place in our brains. The other thing that I've been seeing a lot about about EMDR that I wanted to mention is that EMDR can make you feel better immediately. The answer to that is going to also be yes-ish. EMDR does not heal trauma immediately. Like I said, EMDR is actually eight phases and the movement of the fingers is phase four. So people often think, you know, you're going to go to an EMDR therapist and they're going to, you know, waggle their fingers in front of you. And that's not necessarily what's about to happen. So we need to understand that it's a lot more complicated than that. 
Yeah. Sometimes you can feel better immediately. It's almost similar to if you've ever had like pent up stress and then, you know, you let out a really good cry. It's kind of similar to that feeling. Like sometimes you can feel a sense of relief immediately. That doesn't mean that trauma will necessarily be quote unquote cured or resolved or anything like that. The goal of EMDR is to, yes, resolve trauma to move that into the filing cabinet. That is the goal of EMDR. But I've been seeing a lot of this, oh, it's going to be, you know, immediately resolved. And it's like, well, uh, not quite, not quite. But you can feel a sense of relief. So I want to share with you when I got trained in EMDR, and I can't remember if I've talked about this before, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself. But when I got trained in EMDR, the start of the training, I had been hospitalized earlier that week. I had had salmonella. It was absolutely awful. So I've been hospitalized earlier that week. So I'm walking to the training with my ginger ale and my saltines and probably, you know, looking like I, I don't even know how I looked. I probably smelled bad too. And so, you know, I said to everyone, like, oh, I've been sick, like, I'm okay now. But I was at a point where I wasn't really eating. I was eating saltines and ginger ale and maybe some soup, but like, I wasn't really eating, like my appetite wasn't fully back yet. And I had been told by doctors that I could eat, that like, I was fine, it was safe to eat, but my appetite wasn't fully back. And so I get to this training and they're like, hey, let's do EMDR on you, Mary Ellen. And I was like, um, I don't have trauma. And they were like, you were just hospitalized. And I go, yeah, but like, that was just a a thing that happened to me. Like that wasn't traumatic. Well, let's, let's do, let's do some trauma. Let's do some EMDR and see, see how you feel. So they did the phase four of the EMDR on me. And I didn't necessarily feel any different immediately. I, I really just, as they were having the bilateral stimulation, moving their fingers, I was just really talking about my experience and what happened. That's really what it was. And the wildest thing happened afterwards. So they finished up EMDR and they're like, okay, how do you feel? I raised my hand and I go, you know what? I'm starving. I am absolutely starving. I need to get some food. So what was happening was that I did have my appetite back, but I was afraid to eat. I thought, oh, my appetite is just not back yet. I'm still a little bit sick, but that wasn't true. I was afraid to eat. I was stuck in this. I don't want to eat and get sick again. So I'm being cautious. I'm just eating saltines. I'm just eating soup, right? And this EMGR was done on me. And guess what? I was hungry. It was like the coolest experience ever because it was enough of processing the event that had just happened to me to help me to move forward, to help me to realize, oh my gosh, I am hungry. It was so, so cool. So the reason I'm sharing that story with you is when you hear people talk about like, oh, EMDR can resolve your trauma immediately. It's not necessarily true. Can we feel different because we've just gone through this processing? Yeah, we can. We can, and it's really, really awesome. So the last thing that I want to say about this is EMDR is not the only trauma therapy. There are other trauma therapies out there. If you're going to a therapist and you want to work through trauma, make sure they have some type of trauma designation, advanced trauma training. I'm seeing a lot of people on Instagram, therapists, or anyone, actually, 
talking about trauma, talking about EMDR, talking about these things that don't have this designation. I have the designation and I still know like 2% of it, it feels like. <laughs> Seriously, because we're always learning. We're always growing. There's oh, They're always doing more research. Again, if you're listening to this and you're like, ooh, I would have said what she said differently. I was trying to put this in kind of just like layman's terms without using too, too, too many fancy words. <laughs> I don't know if I succeeded. But be careful when we're looking. We want to make sure people have trauma designations because it's really, really hard to work with. And trauma is really scary because here's the thing with trauma. We, and by we, I mean therapists, doctors, people, friends, whoever, can accidentally re-traumatize people. Talking about trauma can accidentally re-traumatize them. And we do not want to do that at all. So we as professionals have to work really, really hard to make sure we're not accidentally re-traumatizing people. We have to be really, really aware of it, always learning, always educating ourselves. So that's why I said at the beginning of this episode, like, hey, if you need to turn it off, turn it off. So that being said, because it is so easy to re-traumatize ourselves, be careful of the information we're viewing. Make sure the information we're receiving about trauma is from someone who has designations and certifications and education and all of that stuff, because it's just a really scary, scary, dangerous thing. Trauma, whether it's big T's or little T's, it's a really, really scary, dangerous thing. But I'm hoping that this episode, first of all, gave some context to a little bit of maybe words that you're hearing or terms that you're hearing and got you excited about the future of like trauma therapy because we're doing research all the time and that research is going really well. We're helping people with trauma, which is amazing. So if you have struggled with trauma, if you have experienced trauma, guess what? We can help it, which is pretty, I mean, it's pretty okay-ish if you ask me. Please follow me wherever you're listening to this podcast and on Instagram at okayish podcast. Also, I would love it if you could rate the podcast and leave a review. The best way to get in contact with me is to go to okayishpodcast.com and submit a comment question. You can do it anonymously too, which is so great. I will see you guys next Monday. I can't wait.